Hey, thank you for joining us online today. My name is Steve Polk, Executive Pastor at First Baptist Rock Hill. It's a joy to welcome you to this online broadcast. Today, Pastor Steve is going to bring a message that I think is going to encourage everybody that is about spiritual gifts. And so when we look at a messed up church in our last part of this series, we have to also look at what brings people together and the uniqueness it is that a congregation is. Every person in a congregation is gifted, and every one of those gifts is essential to the body of Christ. So he's going to dig deep into that today, and I pray that you will get a notepad and copy of God's Word, and that you'll lock in with us here in 1 Corinthians as we investigate these gifts that God has given to every believer to strengthen, edify, and make the body of Christ, the church, as effective as it possibly can be. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your Word, for uh, passages like this that show us just exactly how uniquely you've created us, the purpose you've given to us collectively to work together uh, from our strengths, from our gifts, and that you care so deeply about each of us that you give us gifts that can be used in ministry and used to serve uh, the church and serve our communities. So God, help us to understand who we are in you and how you allow us to serve people uh, for the cause of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The father and his grown son lived in different parts of the country, and so they were taking different flights to a family wedding. But what happened was each of them in their particular airport was pulled over by TSA and interrogated by the FBI as terrorists. Really caught them off guard. Uh, the FBI eventually discovered that they were not terrorists and let them go. What happened was there was another son, a brother who had not been invited to this family wedding, and he got mad. He got angry, and he was jealous of his brother and dad for being invited to the wedding, and he wasn't. And so he made two anonymous phone calls to those two airports and identified his dad and his brother as terrorists, and they needed to be stopped. And so TSA pulled them over. The FBI interrogated them. And it just created a mess. In fact, the brother missed the wedding, wasn't able to catch his connecting flight and, and missed the wedding because of that. It is amazing what hurt feelings, what envy, jealousy, and anger can cause a person to do that hurts other people. In fact, jealousy and envy and all of that makes it difficult for, for groups to stay together and be effective. Think about a sports team, a basketball team, a, a football team. When me becomes more important than we, that team is not going to be successful. It happens in a work environment, a, a business office, or a business team. Jealousy and envy can tear it apart. Uh, it can happen in churches. And uh, sometimes when it happens in churches, it's because there are, there are members who think, well, we're more special and we're more important, we're more valuable than others. Or the opposite, you have members who think they don't matter, they're not as important, they're not valuable, and they're not uh, needed. And, and sometimes this, this jealousy and this envy and the damage that it creates is, is unintentional and can show up in very subtle ways and be disguised a lot of different ways. I remember uh, years ago, we used to elect our deacons here at First Baptist in a very traditional manner. In fact, this past Sunday, 
we elected 10 deacons to serve new terms. And we did not vote on them individually. We voted on them as a group. Well, that was all changed more than 20 years ago, approved by the church. And I can remember in the old way where everybody was voted on individually, nominated individually, etc., that if a person, you know, sang solos in the worship service on Sunday mornings, inevitably that person would be selected as a deacon because they were so publicly platformed. And, and people assumed that simply because they were singing solos meant they were the most spiritual people in the church. Not necessarily the case. I remember years ago, a man in our church who argued that all business meetings should be held on Wednesday night and no vote should ever be taken on Sunday mornings when the majority of people are there because if they cared enough and dedicated enough, they would come out on a Wednesday night to be part of the discussion and vote. And he felt those who would do that, their voice and their vote mattered more than those who could not or would not come on a Wednesday night. It is, it's interesting how envy and jealousy and pride and these different things can, can filter into our thinking and our decision making. Even Jesus' own disciples argued. We're told about it in the Gospels. They argued over which of them was, would be the, the greatest in God's kingdom. And so there are going to be people or groups who think they are more valuable and more important than others. There are going to be individuals and maybe groups who think they don't matter as much. And all of that kind of thinking, that jealousy, that envy, that kind of me-centric thinking can mess up a church. And so today we are wrapping up this series from the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians on a messed up church, a church that was divided over uh, many things. And, and they were divided over spiritual gifts. Some people, because of their gifting, their talents, their abilities, thought they were more special than others. And, and it caused others to think, well, I'm not as gifted as that person. I'm not as talented as that person. So the church doesn't need me as much. And that kind of envy, that kind of negative thinking was creating all kinds of problems. So I've, decided, I've titled this sermon, I think I'm special. I think I'm special. And, you know, in a sense, we all are, but we're no more special than others. But some people think they are. And so I want us to look at what we discover about this kind of thinking that messes up a church from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So go ahead, open your Bible there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As I mentioned, they were divided over spiritual gifts because some people in that church, their gifting meant that they were in front of people. And, and some people are more gifted. Some people are more talented. And, and because of that, they received just naturally more applause and, and more praise. And they started thinking they were special and better than others and more important. And those who weren't getting the applause... Those who were not getting all the praise started thinking, well, we don't matter. We're not special. I, I'm not important to the church. I'm not needed. And Paul had to set all of them straight, both groups, those who thought they were more special, those who thought they didn't mean much. He had to set both groups straight, and he does that in 1 Corinthians 12. He says to them, listen, none of you, none of you are more special than others, whether you serve up front and in public or you serve behind the scenes quietly and people don't always see it, all of you 
and each of you are needed. And there's no room in God's kingdom and God's church for prima donnas. So let's look at what he said. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 1. He says, now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. And then he spends the rest of the chapter teaching about it. Let's drop down to verse 4 and see what he says. He writes, now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, or your Bible may translate it services, but the same Lord. In verse 6, there are varieties of effects, of outcomes, of what is produced by the ministry, by the service. But it's the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation, <coughs> excuse me, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common Good. Now, what he tells us in those verses is we are different. We're not all the same. The Holy Spirit gives us different gifts, different talents, different abilities. And we use those gifts and talents to serve in different ministries. It's not just one gift that everybody has. And there's not just one ministry. There are many ministries, many ways to serve in the church. And, 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 and not everyone who has the same gift necessarily serves in the same ministry. And then he says there are different outcomes or effects. What is the result of what is produced by those of us with different gifts serving in different ministries? Well, there are all kinds of different outcomes. And he says all of that, all of that is of God. In verse 7, he said it is for the common good and to each one is given the manifestation of of the Holy Spirit in verse 11. He says, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So in other words, whatever gifts and talents I have, whatever gifts and talents you have, whatever ministries God allows each of us to serve in and, and what God produces through that, it's not because we are special. It is the choice of the Holy Spirit to distribute, give to each of us individually the gifts that he chooses, the talents that he chooses, the abilities that he chooses, and it is for the common good. Not because we are more special or less special than others who have different gifts and abilities than we do. Three or four years ago, Robert Smith, who is a, a billionaire, gave the commencement address to the graduating class at Morehouse College, an historically black, all-male institution of higher learning. And during his speech, his commencement address, he announced that uh, he was establishing a fund that would, would pay in full the student loans of all the graduates that year in that particular class. And so there was celebration, there was applause, there was excitement. But as the weeks passed, there was a growing undercurrent of resentment as well by students in other classes whose tuition would not be paid, by those who had graduated in the past and had worked hard and sacrificed to pay their way through school. And they started resenting that this one class had their tuition voluntarily paid by this very, very wealthy man. Now, here's something we need to understand. He did not pay off 
the student debts, the student loans of that one graduating class because that class was special. It happened to be the class that was graduating the year he was asked to give the commencement address. And so with all of his money, he could do it, and he freely, voluntarily chose to pay off the student loans of that particular class. His money, his choice to bless that one group, and therefore no room for resentment by anyone else. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. He gives us what he gives us not because we are special in comparison to others. He doesn't give one person this gift and another person what we might think of as a less public or praiseworthy gift, even though all gifts are deserving of praise, but we think ours doesn't matter as much. He didn't do that because we are less valuable, less important. In the grace of God, the Holy Spirit simply chooses to say, I'm giving this one that gift, another one a different gift. I'm giving you this ability, this talent, a different person, a different gift, a different talent. Not because one is more special and the other is less special. It's simply the free choice of the Holy Spirit of God. And and it's true that some gifts get more applause than others. But here's the second thing he teaches us in this passage. The gifts that are up front in public, the gifts that just naturally because of, the, of their public nature receive more, more applause and, and, and more praise does not necessarily mean that person is more spiritual and the person whose gift and service does not get as much applause or praise does not necessarily mean they are less spiritual. In other words, what gift and talent and ability I have and you have does not necessarily say I am more spiritual or less spiritual than anyone else. I could have gift A and be more or less spiritual. You could have gift B and be more or less spiritual. Our spirituality, the maturity of it, and the depth of it is demonstrated not by which gift we have or don't have, but in whether or not we are faithful in using it to serve Jesus Christ, his church, his kingdom, and his people. There are people who have very public gifts, and they receive praise for it, but they're not nearly as dedicated as they may appear. There are people who serve behind the scenes and their gifts seldom receive praise and applause. And yet they are very, very dedicated and spiritual. You just don't ever know. One of the things that I truly enjoy about our D group ministry here at First Baptist Church and being in these small groups with men for 12 months as we read the word of God together, discuss it together, pray together, discuss life together, and hold each other accountable is how many times I'm just blessed and blown away by the insights the Holy Spirit gives some of these men when they read God's word that he did not give me. There are men who've been in groups with me over the last few years who will never stand in front of a church and preach or a Sunday school class and teach, but they open the word of God and the Holy Spirit works in their life and heart and speaks to them and shows them truth in God's word that I missed. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Our gifts, what we do have or do not have, do not speak to the level of our spirituality 
or dedication. What we do with them does. So that's the second lesson. The third thing we learn from this passage is that you and I are not to see ourselves. Think of ourselves as more than someone else or less than someone else. And we are not to look at others, at any other person, as being more than us or less than us because of the spiritual gifting they have and the service they render to the church. Look at what he says starting at verse 12. Verse 12. He says, for even as the body is one, so one body, one whole body, um, and yet it has many members, hands, feet, eyes, ears, etc., and all the members... All the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So all the parts of my body make up one body. He says it is the same with the body of Jesus Christ, the church. Many members, yet one body. Verse 13, for by one spirit we were all baptized into the one body. The Holy Spirit of God called us to Jesus, converted us when we repented of our sins, and birthed us spiritually into the family of God, into the church of Christ, into the body of Jesus Christ. And then verse 14, for the body is not one member but many. One body but many members, many moving parts make up this body. And many different members and talents and abilities make up the church, which is one body. So he continues in verse 15. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. I mean, the foot may think, I'm not as important as the hand. But can you imagine not having your feet? We need all these different parts to make the body function and be healthy and successful and happy. He goes on in verse 16, and if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. The ear may think the eye is more important, but Jesus is telling us in his holy word that we need the ear just like we need the eye. We need hearing just like we need vision. We need all the different parts, all the different members, all the different gifts that God gives to his people in his church, in his body, a local New Testament church. And because of that, I am not to say to myself because I'm this, I'm an eye, not an ear, I'm I'm better, I'm more special, I'm more important, I'm, I'm more. But if I'm an ear and not an eye, and therefore I'm not to say, well, you know, I'm not as important as that, so I'm less, I'm less, I'm not as valuable. The Bible is telling us that kind of thinking is contrary to the grace of God and the goodness of God. It is a contradiction to the word of God and the truth that this body is one and it is a whole and every gift and every talent and every skill and every service and every ministry is needed. So don't see yourself as either more or less and don't see others as either more or less. A little over 20 years ago, the movie Finding Graceland about Elvis Presley was filmed in Memphis at Presley's house, Graceland. And uh, they put out a call for extras and so a large crowd, hundreds and hundreds of people uh, signed up as extras and then they called the ones uh, they needed. And, and, and what they were going to do, they needed hundreds of people to be part of a group, a large crowd that would be walking in a candlelight uh, uh, vigil, if you will, in front of Graceland, in front of Presley's house to commemorate his birthday. And all of those hundreds would be walking together 
like a parade, holding their candles high in front of his house. And so there was this pastor, his first name is Don. He and his wife were chosen, and they showed up that morning, and they were sent to the to the right place, and they were put on their costume, their clothing for that era uh, that this was taking place, and and they were given their candles, and they were given their instructions, and when the time came, all these hundreds of extras were lined up, and this pastor and his wife were put right in front of all of those hundreds of marchers, and and, and he said, I, I can remember thinking, wow, we're going to be at the front of the line, right in full view of the camera, and everybody, all of our family and friends who see this movie will be able to see us, and I wonder what we're going to look like on, in, in, in the movie, and, and after they had got everyone lined up and given their instructions, the director with his bullhorn said, now, everybody turned around, and immediately he said, my dream was shattered, rather than being at the front of the line in an instant, I was at the back of the line, at the back of that crowd of hundreds, and he said, I was so disappointed, and he said, if you watch the movie, you, you'll see a hand with a short candle at the back over the crowd. He said, I think that's my hand. I'm not sure. He said, 14 hours on set that day, and you couldn't even see my face in the movie. But if they had made the movie with this crowd doing a holding a, a candlelight vigil in front of Elvis Presley's house, and there would only been five people or ten people or twenty people, it would not have been very impressive in the movie, would it? It would take a crowd of hundreds for it to look like a large crowd commemorating his birthday. They needed all of them, even though they all could not be visible, as far as their face so on, be visible in the movie. And it's the same in the church. Whether you're at the back of the line and you're visible or, or you're not visible or you're at the front of the line and you are visible, it is needed. It is needed. The front and the back and in between for the health of the body. And so whether you're at the front or the back, don't see yourself as more or less and don't see anyone else as more or less. That is the teaching of God's word. That's the third lesson. Now, here's the fourth lesson. And it just flows right out of what I've already said. You and your gifts, your talents, your abilities are needed if we are going to be a healthy church. Look at what he says in verse 17. He said, if the whole body were an eye. In other words, if the whole body just had this one, didn't have the hand, didn't have the ears. If, if in the church there was just this one gift, everybody had the same gift, where would the hearing be? And if the whole the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? We need taste and smell and sight and hearing and everything else, touch, everything that makes this body work. So does the church. And whatever your gift, whatever your skills, whatever your talents, they are needed if this church is going to function properly and be healthy and effective. Look at what he says starting at verse 19. He said, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. I mean, the eye could see a pork chop, but without the hand can't pick it up. 
I have, can't say I don't need you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you because the head, the brain might say, let's walk over there. But without the feet, you can't do it. You can't say I don't need that part of the body. All these different skills, all these different gifts, all these different ways of serving are needed for a church to be healthy. So in verse 22, he adds, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. You know, when I'm preaching, people are paying attention to my words. They're not paying attention to my feet. But I need my feet. I need all the parts of my body. So does the church. It's the same thing. And the Holy Spirit and the wisdom and the grace of God has given you talent and ability and time and opportunity, ways to serve that make the church healthy and effective. You are needed. Some years ago, the famous Beethoven Orchestra in Bonn, Germany, Beethoven's home, uh, had a problem. An orchestra that was founded in his honor more than 100 years ago, a large one, 106 players, and they're well paid. But a few years ago, the 16 violinists who are part of that orchestra filed a lawsuit wanting to be paid more, they said, because here's what they said. They said, since we play more notes than the other instruments, we should be paid more. And it created some real problems, some real hurt and confusion and division in that orchestra. You see, an orchestra has the four sections of, you know, the, the strings, the winds, the brass, the percussionist. And you need all four sections if you're going to have a full-sounding, powerful, beautiful, moving orchestra play music. If you don't have all four sections, you may have a brass ensemble, you may have a strings ensemble, but without all four, you do not have an orchestra. And that's the point he's making about the church, about the body of Jesus Christ. If you only have this gifting, if you only have these people, you don't have a church. You have an ensemble but not a church. Every section, every group, each one of us, whatever our gifting is needed. Here's the fifth lesson. Because of all this, those of us who have more public gifts that get naturally more praise need to intentionally notice and pay attention to and honor those whose service, whose gifting is less visible, less public. Look at what he says starting at verse 23. He said, those members of the body which we deem less honorable, in other words, the hidden gifts and so on, on these we bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. Because we naturally get more praise and appreciation. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. Do you remember Jesus saying that some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last? You remember a few moments ago I said that the nature of a person's gift and talents does not necessarily speak to his or her spirituality or lack of spirituality, his or her dedication or lack 
of dedication, Jesus knows how faithful each of us are with what he has given us. The Holy Spirit knows if we are faithful in using the gifts and opportunities and talents he's given us. And he's going to honor us. But as a church, we should also pay attention to those whose gifts and service are less public and appreciate them and say thank you to them. I noticed earlier this week on our church's Instagram page some photographs, some pictures from this past Sunday. It was a moving up day when the children and the youth moved up from one grade to the next for Sunday mornings in their, their life groups. And, and those who were in third grade moved up to the preteen ministry. And those who were in fifth grade moved up to the middle school ministry. And those who were in eighth grade moved up to the high school ministry. And those who were seniors in high school and graduates moved up to the college ministry. And so, and what I noticed in these, these pictures of the, of the elementary children, here's all these kids. And standing with them are those adult volunteers. And I can tell you that most of those adult volunteers are never going to stand on the stage of First Baptist Church or any other church and sing. They're not going to stand up in public and preach. They're not going to stand in front of an adult Sunday school class and teach. Some of them will, but most of them will not. And yet this church would not be what it is without them. The investment they are making into the children who are part of this family of faith called First Baptist Church, Rock Hill. Those who serve behind the scenes, whose, whose gifts are less public than we think, maybe they're not as important. Listen, they are absolutely essential. And they help this church be healthy and whole and well. And without them, we would be sick and weak and much, much less than we really are. And so the last thing I want to say is this. We each, all of us, need to remember that us, us matters more than me. Us matters more than me. I want to ask you a question. Who was the first person to walk on the moon? Now, some of you know, others of you don't. It's Neil Armstrong in 1969 on Apollo 11, the first person to ever walk on the moon. And he became famous. He's still famous, but there are fewer people today who know his name than 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago because fame is fleeting. He understood that. And even though he was the face of the Apollo 11 mission and the first man to walk on the moon, there was a book written after all of that called Team Moon, in which the stories of the thousands and thousands of people who worked behind the scenes to make the Apollo mission successful, their stories are told. 400,000 people or so, seamstresses who sold their spacesuits to make sure they would survive while they walked on the moon. The 17,000 engineers and contractors and mechanics and soldiers and others who set up that rocket and the space capsule that would carry them into outer space. The MIT software engineers who wrote the computer code that made it all work. Neil Armstrong later would say, when he stepped on the moon, there was that moment when his thoughts were about the people on earth, those 400,000 who had worked to make it possible for him to have the privilege of what he was doing 
that made him famous. Everybody's needed. And so it is with the people of God and the church of God. And I want to ask you, are you doing your part? Are you doing it with a right, positive attitude? And whether you are serving behind the scenes or up front in a very public way, are you dependable and faithful? Can we count on you? And are you doing it because you love Jesus Christ? Are you growing closer to Jesus? What's your motivation? And do you celebrate with others when they celebrate and weep with others when they weep? Verse 26, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I am needed. You are needed. None of us are more special or less special. We're part of the body. The Holy Spirit has put us here and we're needed. Do your part. God bless you. I'll see you next week with another message.